So this weekend, we're in one of the more uh, controversial passages in the book of James. And it's maybe one of the, the most controversial passages in the New Testament in a sense that there's a, a debate, a raging debate. It's been going on since, for a long time, since the beginning of, of the church. And um, the debate is, the, here's the question. Are there two ways of salvation? Uh, what is faith? What is it really? And, and so some people say Paul is teaching one line and James is teaching another line. And they're in conflict with one another. And we need to, we need to sort that out. There's been hundreds and thousands of articles theologians have wrestled they still wrestle with this idea and what does justification by faith look like and so so many people would pit Paul in you know conflict with James and so there's all this going on so we want to address that but then we want to really take the passage we want to look at it and say what is James really saying to us this weekend so whether uh, in in whatever audience you find yourself Kennedy Roshik online whatever Let's, let's jump into the, the scriptures and let's see what it has to say to us this weekend. Uh, look at James chapter 2. We're going to be at verse 14. And then I'll, the first thing I want to do is I want to talk about this controversy just for a few minutes and just kind of give you what I think is a solution to that. And then uh, we'll talk about how, that, how this passage will apply to our lives this week. So James chapter 14 verse 26. Here's what James says. Here's what the Word of God says to us. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith and have no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister without clothes and daily food. Uh, suppose a brother or sister is without food uh, and daily clothes. Well, let's try it one more time. See, reading is hard. <laughs> suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, and be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, is not a, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without your deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there is one God, good, even the devils believe that, and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was, uh, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, as he was called God's friend. You see... A person is not considered righteous by what, they, uh, by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off on a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. So the first question I want to ask is, are, you know, are Paul and James in conflict with each other? Okay, that's the first thing. And this is one of the, like I said, one of the biggest debates in the book of, of James. And it pits Ro the book of Romans specifically, Paul in Romans, and the book of James in conflict with each other, or seeming conflict with each other is the best way to say it. Paul says very clearly that we are justified by faith alone. The verse that made a huge difference in my life 
when I took that step of faith in Christ was Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Here's what it says. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So there it's very clear in Ephesians that Paul is teaching our salvation, our justification, being made right with God is nothing that we do and everything that God does for us. Okay? James says we're justified by what we do, not by faith alone. So seemingly, it seems as though James is saying faith uh, has to have works involved in it or it's not uh, faith. So we, we seem to have a contradiction, and some people say, well, there it is. Some people who aren't willing to wrestle with it say there's a contradiction. We can't trust the Bible. I, I knew it. Um, they're critical uh, in, in this area of salvation. You know, this, it's the area of salvation. It's not a small, minor thing. It's a major thing, and, and here we have the conflict. Now, I don't believe James is contradicting Paul. Uh, James and Paul are looking at how a person is made right with God. We call this justification from two different perspectives. It's like two facets of faith. They're looking at it from different perspectives. Okay. Now, remember, and this is really important to understand, that as you read through the book of Acts, you come to Acts chapter 15. And we have in Acts chapter 15, the question is, what are we going to do with these Gentiles? Because they're getting saved. They're trusting Christ and they're, they're becoming, they, they have the same Holy Spirit that we have. In the, and so what do we do with them? Because we never thought they were going to be part of the church, but they are part of the church. And so they had this, the council, they called it, council, it was at Jerusalem, so it's called the Jerusalem Council. And James recited over it and uh, Paul was there and they, James and Paul were re- really on the same page at the end of that as to what the requirements were for salvation. So they're not in conflict. We're not understanding what they're saying, but they're not in conflict as you read through the book of Acts. And they're absolutely on the same page together as they give instructions out as to how a person is made right with God. Well, how do we make sense of that? And I think here's, here's where we go. Paul is saying that you can't make yourself right with God. Just, you can't justify yourself before, before God. You need somebody to help you, somebody to rescue you, somebody to pay the price for your sins. You can't save yourself. Essentially, that's what Paul's saying. That, we, that the only way that you can be saved is by the grace of God, by the mercy of God. That's all, the only reason you can be. So that's what, that's what Paul is saying. James is saying, uh, is saying that unless there's some evidence of your active faith in God, some demonstration of works, uh, then we need to question whether we really have believed in God at all. In other words, James is saying that, 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 that we, we believe in God, we trust God, but that faith can't be just a dead faith. There has to be some proof of it, a whiff of it, some works that go along with it if there's, if there's no life. If there's no works or proof of your justification, then you're really uh, not trusting in Jesus for salvation. And I think Paul would agree with that. So Martin Luther came up with a statement, and I think I have it in your notes, and it'll be up on on the screen. He says this, we are saved by faith alone, and that's Paul, right? But the faith that saves is never alone. You see what he's saying? And I think that's how you harmonize these two. We're saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. There's always proof of it. Maybe you've experienced this. You went to a rally, maybe a Billy Graham rally or Luis Palau or somewhere, some type of a rally. They asked you to come forward 
and to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you had a friend or a family member who was, who was with you. And, and you, you walk forward, and, and it was real in your life. And you've seen fruit in your life. You've seen evidence of that, that decision. It was a turning point in your life, and your life has changed little by little over the years, right? But somebody who went with you, they walked with you, and they prayed the same prayer, but you really never saw anything change in their life. Did they really trust? Did they really believe? James would say, if there's no evidence, it's not there. Jesus told a parable, didn't he, in Matthew? He talked about the soils. He said, some seed falls over here, some seed falls over here, some seed. There was only one seed that, that produced proof, food, evidence. And, and so I think that's what James is saying. So I think they're, they're saying the same thing, but they're looking at salvation and justification from different directions. So I don't think it's an insurmountable way to, to harmonize them. I think they harmonize very well if we understand what they're saying. Okay, enough time on that. That's not the main thing. I, if you walk out and, <laughs> and that's the most important thing you got, you, then you missed out on probably something maybe it's more practical for your life today. So I want to talk a little bit about what does James mean when he talks about true faith? What is true faith? Because he says faith without works is dead. So he's, he's obviously there talking about faith that's not true. Some kind of false faith or it's not really faith or whatever you want to call it. I'm calling it true faith. And so I want to tell you what does it mean to have true faith? And maybe you want to ask that question for yourself saying, well, how do I know if I have true faith? Okay. Well, here, let me give you a few things. Number one. It's not giving lip service. It's not giving lip service. So he uses an illustration. He says, if you see a brother who is in need of clothes and need of food, and you see the need right before your eyes, and you say to them, you know what I'm going to do for you? Yeah, what? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? I'm going to pray for you. Now, I have capacity to help you, but I'm going to pray for you. And you walk away. And you say, be blessed. <laughs> if you're the person who, who doesn't have the clothes and doesn't have the food, are you going, what a wonderful thing they just did for me? You go, yeah, thanks a lot. When you know that they have capacity to help you. And so essentially what, what, what I think James is saying is, that's the same with faith. You can say, you can talk a big, big game of faith up. But if there's no real works, what? difference does it really make there's really nothing there's no life there there's no vitality there and and in the same way he says uh, you know if if you say you have faith but there's no record there's no evidence um, the conclusion is your faith is dead so this happened a long time ago over 30 years ago yeah probably around 30 years so we were uh young married students in seminary housing in grand rapids michigan and our oldest boy, Kyle, was three years old. And Kyle was out playing one day. I mean, he's three years old. And he's not a bad kid. You know, he's generally a pretty good kid. Uh, but he was out playing. And I don't know why they do this in front of houses, but they, they, around the bushes, they put little rocks around the bushes and the parking lots out there. And this one young lady was driving her car by front of the thing and Kyle was throwing rocks and guess what he just hit he hit the windshield of her brand new car oh, it's $300 to fix the car right now we listen if we had $300 we would think we're rich 
Hey, we don't, we don't have $300. And our three-year-old just broke a windshield of a car. And, and so Carol's like, okay, we got to pray about this. we got to pray about this. And we were connected to a church. And Carol would go to the Bible study there. And she said, you know, I just can't go today. So she decided to call and let him know. Say, I won't be there. And uh, she told him just kind of basically what happened. And so, you know, she told me, and we're praying, and we're praying, and we're praying. And uh, so then we, we, we found out uh, what happened after the call. The lady who was leading the Bible study said, hey, uh, we need to pray. Uh, she mentioned Carol and what had happened, and she said, we, should, we need to pray about this. We need to pray about this. And I don't know if it was her or someone else in the group said, why are we praying about this? Let's do something about it. They took an offering right there. And guess how much money they came up with? $300? I don't know if it was on the... I'm not going to give you the whole... It was in like the exact dime. It wasn't. I mean, I don't know. But it's $300. Paid for the windshield. But you see what, what, what's going on there. That the difference was they could have said, hey, we'll pray about it. We have capacity to help you, but we're not going to do anything. But they did something. And I'll tell you what, it was like, you said, okay, well, there's faith in action there. There's faith in action there. And that's kind of the point that James is making. And, and so I want to ask you a question. James is saying, he's showing us that if our faith isn't resulting in corresponding actions, we need to question whether we even have real faith. So I want to ask you a question. This is just between you and God right now. How has your faith shown up in the last couple of weeks where you just, it was faith, you had to walk by faith? Or your faith had legs, your faith was evident. Somebody would have looked at you and said, why did you just do that? And you said, because I have faith in God, I have a relationship with God. And it compelled me to do something that goes different than the rest of the world thinks. So that's the first one. Faith, is, it, it, it's not just giving lip service, true faith. Secondly, it's, it's not just believing in God. <laughs> it's not just... So it seems like what James is doing here is he's having a dialogue. And, and he, he's having a kind of this imaginary dialogue with somebody and saying... And, and it go, kind of goes like this. The, the other person is saying, well, James, you know, we don't have to get into an argument over this thing. He says, they say, you have faith, uh, or you, I have faith, you have works. God has given each of us different gifts. You know, I, he's given me the gift of faith. He's given you the gift of works. Let's not bicker over it. Let's not argue over it. Listen, we both believe in God. I mean, that's all that really matters after all, isn't it? We both believe in God. We're on the same page. We're on the same team. Let's not divide. Let's not argue about it. Seems like that's what they're saying. And then James answers it. And here's what James says. James is, is uh, and you have to read that kind of almost in a, in, with, a, with a tone of sarcasm. And, and James says, oh, you believe in God. Awesome. That's so great, man. The fact that you believe in God, I mean, that's incredible. That's so fa fabulous. So do the demons. And they shudder. So you, 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 maybe you get the tone of what he's saying there. And, and here's the thing I, that I've noticed. James would say the demons have a better theology than you do. They not only believe in God, 
They know exactly what God can and is doing because they see the part of this world, the curtain, the, the, the dimension of this world that we don't see. It's very active and alive to them. And, and they see it and they believe it. They believe that Jesus is God's son, that he came to earth, that he gave his life on the cross, that he's the king of kings and lord of lords. They also believe that he's going to come one day and judge the living and the dead, including them. And they shudder at it. You know, Jesus said to Peter, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church, my kingdom. You don't use a gate as an offensive weapon. It's a defensive weapon. The demons, the devil, is on defense because they know the day of judgment is coming and they shudder knowing it's coming. So James would say, they have a more developed active faith than maybe you do. And too many people today see believing in God as merely intellectual agreement. Oh, I believe in Jesus. I believe in God. I believe he died on a cross. And James would say, just like the demons. And he may ask us this question this weekend. How is your faith different than the faith of a demon? Really? James tells us that one day many will come to Jesus and they're going to be bragging about the good works. He says, you know, I cast out demons in your name. I did this in your name. I did this in your name. And Jesus is going to say to them, you can write this down in your notes, Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 21 through 23. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. And it's, it's, some, of the, it's some of the coldest, some of the darkest, some of the most stark, hit you in the face uh, verses that you read in the New Testament. They'll come to him and they say, we did all these good things. We did all these amazing things. And Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you. Now, that's a whole other discussion. You see, we need to be clear that just believing in God, that God exists, is not the same as trusting and obeying in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Paul puts it this way in Romans 10, 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Now, the devils, here's the difference between uh, true faith and devil's faith. The devils don't obey. The devils don't bow down to Jesus. The devils don't hallow his holy name. The, 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 the Lord's Prayer says, Lord, hallowed it be your name. May your name be lifted up. May your name be exalted. May your name be held high. They don't ask for forgiveness. They don't call on Jesus for salvation. They don't daily submit their lives to him. They don't do any of that. Because they're not for him. They're against him. And so I ask you again. How is your faith different than the devil's faith? You know, I used to live near Niagara Falls. And I went uh, and checked this out because I'd heard this illustration over and over and I wanted to make sure it's true. And I talked to the historian there and he assured me it was. Uh, they had this uh, tightrope walker, the great Blondin. And I won't, you know, I, won't, I won't belabor the illustration, but essentially he would walk back and across, uh, across the falls on a tightrope. And he would push a wheelbarrow. He would uh, lower things down to the mate of the mist, the boat that was down way, you know, hundreds of feet down below and pull it up. He did a laundry. I, he did all sorts of crazy things. I mean, it's like, I, can you imagine the, the planning meetings they have? Well, what are we going to do this time? You know, well, let's uh, cook a sandwich or fry an egg. Or, they're doing all these crazy things. So one day <clears throat> he's on the side and he says, well, how many people think that I can 
uh, walk across and back. And, you know, everybody raised their hands. And, of course, he walked across and back. And he said, came back to the other side. And he says, how many people uh, think I can carry somebody on my shoulders? Well, you know, everybody put their hand. I believe. I believe. He says, all right, who's getting on? <laughs> there was only one person that said, oh, I will. Okay, that's faith. <laughs> it's, not just, it's not just saying, yeah, I think, I think that's true. I think that, that's real. <laughs> it's that trust, right? And, 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 and the demons don't trust. They don't follow. They don't obey. They don't bow down. One day they will bow down. Because it says, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Number three, true faith is putting everything on the table. So he talks about Abraham, and he talks about the example of Abraham. And Abraham is, you say, well, of course you've got to go to Abraham. I mean, he's the go-to guy in the Old Testament when we talk about faith. I mean, who demonstrated more real active faith? I mean, Daniel and his friends, certainly. But, you know, Abraham is like the guy to go to, right? And he, he talks about Abraham, and he talks about real faith. And so the story, the crescendo of the Abraham story is, that uh, God had promised Abraham and Sarah that they were going to have a child, and they just couldn't have a child, and they finally have this promised child. And one of the first things that God does as the child gets older is he says, hey, I want you to take your son, and I want to take you to Mount Moriah, and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice to me. You go, what? Wait, this is the son of the promise. You said I was going to have more descendants than the stars of the sky than I could count, sands of the seashore than I could count. You promised that, that I was going to have these descendants. This is all I got. And so Abraham, by the way, he, he never has this dialogue with God. God tells him, go take your son to the place that I'll show you, and then I'll tell you what to do. And so they ride a, a couple days. They go to Mount Moriah, and they walk up the mountain. And they, <clears throat> they've got the wood, and they've got the fire. And uh, Isaac, his son, says to him, Father, we have the, the, the wood. We have the fire. Where's the sacrifice? Where's the lamb? Good question. <laughs> and Abraham says something very incredible. He says, God will provide the lamb. God will provide the lamb. So you think, okay, at that point, right after he says that, you should have heard this, something caught in a thicket. No. So Abraham has to take his son, Isaac, <clears throat> which I believe he was old enough that he could overpower his father if he wanted to. He ties him up. He gets the knife. And he raises the knife up. And he's about ready to bring the knife down. And God says, stop. Shortly after that, there is a ram caught in a thicket. And they offer the, the ram. And God did provide a lamb. 2,000 plus years ago, God provided a lamb, and his name is Jesus, on the same mount, on the same mount, Mount Moriah, Mount Calvary. And Jesus w went up on the altar of the cross, and he gave his life. And when the knife came down, there was no one there to say stop. And he took the death blow so that you and I could live. That's faith. Abraham demonstrates faith. Abraham demonstrated incredible faith faith there when he did that now what's interesting about the story and this is where the 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 life group uh, guide goes a little bit deeper this weekend 
Because one of the things you don't see in the Abraham story is you don't see him arguing or bartering or debating with God. There's no, but God, but God, but God. None of that. He just go, goes and does it. Now, we're contrasting that with Moses. Remember when God called Moses to go down to Egypt? Moses says, I'm not the guy. No, no, no. You look at those two stories, and they're very, very different. Abraham shows no wavering in the text. God says it, and he just does it. That's the point that James is making. James is saying, he's saying that Abraham demonstrated his faith, telling his son God would provide a lamp, raising the knife, and waiting for God to tell him to stop. In other words, Abraham was all in. His faith was all in. He held nothing back. He's showing us that if you say you have faith and you don't obey God's command, you need to question your faith uh, and you need to examine it if you have faith at all. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I've called you to do? That's James' point. James' point is if your faith is an obedient and you've ne- you need to say, okay, so what's going on? Because if I'm not obeying God, i got to question whether my faith is real. It's a clear example of someone who had active, real faith. Now, we have one last one, and, and uh, I'm calling this, it's breaking with tradition. So we have the story of Rahab, just a quick story. So some of you know the story, some of you don't know the story. Here's the story of Rahab. So <clears throat> Joshua is the, is the general. He's uh, taking over. The transition has gone, and uh, Moses has handed off to Joshua, and Joshua is now taking the land. And so he's coming against, he went against the Ai, small town, and, and they, now he's coming, to, he's coming to Jericho. And Jericho's this big fortress city with big walls and stuff like that. So he sends some spies into the city to you know, find out what's the situation, what's the morale, you know, what, what it's going to What they're going to do is they're going to sack the city, basically, is what they're going to do. They're going to sack the city. So the spies come in. And uh, word comes to the people uh, in the city that there are spies in the city. And uh, Rahab uh, hides the spies and then uh, makes a deal with them saying, you know, pres- you know we've, we've, I've heard about your God. I've heard about your God. She says um, in verse 11 um, of Joshua, he says, the Lord your God is God in heaven and above and earth below. So she had this foundation of faith where she said, this is the God of the Hebrews is really the God to worship, the one to worship. And so she, she hides the spies. She helps the spies get away. And, she, and they, they give her instructions. Stay in this room. Stay in this place. All your family stay here and they will be safe. And they were. Now think about this for a minute. She is, uh, it's amazing to me because she is actually, uh, the city that she's lived in, probably her whole life, is going to be sacked, and she's helping. She's assisting with that. She is, uh, because she has a faith in God. Um, I think it's amazing that she's plotting against her own city by aiding the spies. She's giving them information, protection, and escape. And I think it shows you that, that her faith was a faith that helped her to break ties with her tradition. Some of you know what I'm talking about when maybe not in this situation, but let me give you another one. 
some of you were raised in a tradition where you went to church, you believed in God, you followed the rules, and then all of a sudden, maybe you came to Hope or maybe you came to another church and you heard the gospel for the first time. And you heard the freedom and forgiveness that only Jesus can give. And you heard what it meant to have a relationship with Jesus Christ because you had never heard that before. And something began within you, a hunger within you began to be filled. Uh, your thirst began to, to be quenched and you realized that you had heard the truth. And you realized that Jesus gave his life to you and so you gave your life to him. You crossed that line of faith. By your faith, you place your faith in Jesus. Jesus, I don't just believe in you. I am trusting you. I'm following you. Whatever that means, I'm in. You are in for me. I'm in for you. You gave your life to me. I'm giving my life to you. And it changed your life. And your family thinks you're nuts. They think, well, you're just little Miss Moral, little Mr. Moral guy. You're just, you don't do what you used to do. You don't talk the way you used to talk. You don't behave the way you used to behave. We want the old guy back. Where did he go? And, and why are you so, you're, is this a cult? Are you in a cult? Is that what it is? Do we need to get somebody to deprogram you or whatever? And you know what I'm talking about. It's some of it you smile, but it's not funny because some of there's a, there's a, you, you can't communicate to them. They don't understand. Why? Because you're breaking with tradition. That tradition you were raised in. It was, it was like being Irish. It's like going to your parents saying, I'm no longer Irish. I denounced my Irishness. You don't even have to say it, but they feel like you've denounced your, 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 yeah, that's me. I'm Irish and Polish. So it'd be like doing that to my parents. I remember when I came to Christ, uh, you know, my mom was like favorable that I was, you know, following God and all that. But I didn't want to tell her I wasn't, you know, going to the church that we grew up in anymore. Because I thought she'd be disappointed, discouraged. And, and you, some of you feel that pressure. But, you, but here's the thing. Just like Rahab, you believe. And you know they have to walk away sometimes even from your family and your tradition to be saved. And that's what she did. But your family thinks you're nuts. They think you're drinking too much of the Jesus juice and hopefully one day you'll, you'll, come to, you'll come to your senses, but they don't understand it. But some of you, just like Rahab, you chose Jesus over your tradition. And it's caused conflict. Jesus says, I didn't come to bring harmony. I'm caught. There's going to be disharmony. Son against father, mother against daughter. There's going to be disharmony because they're not going to get it. Now the question I want to ask just for a second is, why do we use Rahab as an example? Why Rahab? I mean, we get Abraham. Of course, Abraham is like a paragon of faith. We get Abraham. Of course we're going to use Abraham. Why Rahab? Abraham is exactly the opposite of Rahab. Who was Abraham? He was a Jew. He was the, he was the father of the promised people. He was the man who walked with God. Right? Who's Rahab? She's a Gentile. She's a foreigner. She's a woman. She's a harlot. Why does James use her? Because what he wants everyone to see is faith isn't limited because of your status, because of your gender, 
because of your race, because of anything. Faith can be exercised by the rich and the blessed and the powerful and by the, the, the downtrodden, the poor, the left behind, the overlooked, the marginalized of society. Faith can be exercised by the rich and the poor, the Jew or the Gentile, the male or the female, anyone. And experiencing real faith will take you out of your comfort zone. It will cause you to walk away from your roots and your tradition. But, there's, but that's real faith. Um, again, the, the verse that Jesus uses in Luke chapter 12, verse 51. He says, do you think that I have come to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided, each against uh, five against each other. Three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and against uh, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. So how's your faith? Is it real? Or is it fake? <laughs> I, I like uh, the quote that uh, Charles Spurgeon uh, had. He said this, The grace that does not change my life will not save my soul. Uh, that's what James is saying to us this weekend. The grace that doesn't change my life will not save my soul. Have you experienced the grace of God like that? Have you crossed that line of faith? Have you called upon the Lord? I don't mean that you believe that God exists or Jesus came to earth. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, have, are you following him? Are you obeying him? Are you walking with him? It's not perfect. Okay, let's get over this perfect. It's not that. I'm asking that when he gave his life to you, did you give your life to him and say, Jesus, you're not only my savior, you're my Lord, and I'm not going to wait to bow down to you one day. I am bowing down to you daily. Many times during the day, when you say to me, and I know you're speaking to me, stop doing this, start doing this, and I go, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. That's the question we're asking. How real is your faith? James would say, if there's no evidence of your faith, you've got to say did I even cross the line in the first place? Good questions to ask. Good questions to ponder. We need to think through that. We need to pray about it. And we need to ask God to help us. Because we need his help. I want to lead us in a word of prayer. And uh, you can just remain s sitting. And I'll pray. And then as we, uh, at, when I get done with the prayer, the, the hosts are going to come. And they're going to take an offering. And, uh, you know, just Pray that you respond uh, in the way that God wants you to this weekend. Let's pray. So, Father, thank you for bringing your word to our hearts. Thank you for the words of James and for the examples that he gives to us. Thank you that uh, without your help, we would have no hope. And we realize that we're saved by uh, grace through faith. But that faith has to have some life to it. There, there, there needs to be proof of faith. Proof of faith is proof of life. And if we don't have that, then we've got to really question a lot of things in our lives. So help us to each and each of us individually to say, where, where am I at? Uh, how real is my faith? Could, could my faith be distinguished from the faith of a demon?
Father, may your spirit work in each and every one of our hearts where we need the work the most. And I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.